Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our February 14th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have you here today to answer your finance and investment questions. And we know at some point in your life, you'll realize that when it comes to planning for the long term, and the sooner you start, the sooner you get better at it, the more successful you will be. Because those good decisions will compound on themselves. And with that said, Steve and I have always told you the market can be volatile and unpredictable. And we've been witnessing a lot of those circumstances play out. And with that, volatility brings opportunity. And you need to be ready to act. And so as we transition, I've talked a lot about this from a market where intangible assets are in vogue to where tangible assets are in vogue. Think commodities, real estate, land, the means of production. Those things are going to be more valuable. And so you need to adjust your portfolio accordingly, your strategy. Otherwise, you're going to underperform. You're going to lag and you're going to be in names that are just overvalued and dead money for a, a long period of time. And you cannot afford that. You cannot afford your investments to be dead money. It needs to be growth money. Sometimes growth are fun, exciting tech stocks. Sometimes they are boring old value stocks. Growth is just simply being able to earn return and compound those returns year after year. So on today's program and podcast, I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. So that's my assurance that no matter what I'm talking about, could be a particular stock, could be a strategy that you're asking about, might be a fund that you're getting pitched. Maybe it's a, an annuity that you want to talk about or your 401k, whatever it is. I'm here to give you the answers without bias, just the facts as I see them in front of me and using my 20 plus years of investment experience. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape this show. I can talk about whatever I want, but ultimately this show is about you. 
And that means you have to call. And you can do that right now and interact with me during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, which a lot of you are on the podcast, you can leave your number on the Invest Talk Voice Bank or your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Either way, that number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, guys. I wanted to get your opinion on Dollar General. And if now would be a good time to buy. Seems like it's been relatively flat for the last year. However, its P.E. ratio still seems a bit high. Just wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks. All right. Looking at Dollar General. First issue is technically, it's definitely in a downtrend. It made, the good thing it made a higher high back in, what, December, early early January. But now it's made a lower low from the pivot in October. And so you kind of have a mixed picture here. Now this would be in the consumer defensive space as economic times get harder. Well, people look for more bargains and they operate over 17,000 different dollar general stores in 46 different states. They're going to open a thousand more stores here in the near future. Now their earnings definitely benefited from this, uh, this pandemic earnings were $6 and 73 cents in 2020, uh, 2021 and $10 and 62 cents this year. So it's to be down a bit 4% to $10 and 16 cents. <clears throat> pays a 0.8% dividend yield, $46 billion market cap, and trading about about four, about four 20 times forward-looking earnings. Yeah, trading at 200, so it's to make $10 per share. You know, I think that, uh, I think this is still a bit overvalued, and I don't like the technicals, uh, and the fact that earnings projections for this year are coming down. I don't like that either. So, I'm going to pass on Dollar General. Uh, interesting name on the watch list, but this needs to get to a bargain for me, for me to be excited about it. And a bargain would be right around $150 per share, and that's at 200 So I would be patient because of the technicals and the headwinds of less less goods goods demand. We've talked about this. Less goods demand, and they sell a lot of goods. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. The U.S. 10-year yield rose above 2%, which... Could this translate or this could this indicate trouble for stocks? Excuse me. Yields moved higher as St. Louis Fed President James Bullard reiterated his call for central banks to take aggressive steps to fight inflation in the first half of 2022. So we're going to discuss those developments. And then we're also going to touch on retirement. And the pandemic pushed a lot of people into retirement for various reasons, maybe health reasons, but also Hey, their assets went up, but what could that actually mean for uh, retirees that made that decision in the recent past? And and I'm going to dig into those details. Also, remote work uh, after the pandemic, will it stay as consistent and robust? And then will you be going back to the office a little bit more? So how will that stick? And then lastly, we're going to talk about interest rates maybe in the longer term, not just about now, but in the longer term. What might that look like Look like five, ten years from now? And that will be very important when it comes to returns you should expect from asset markets. Now, let's take a look at the market today. We had a kind of a mixed bag, but S&P was down about 17 points. Modest down day on that front. The small caps, those were, let's pull that up here. Uh, my computer wants to be slow today. Let's pull up the NASDAQ. 
Oh, there we go. There's the. So small caps were down oh, less than half a percent. So very modest down day there. COMPQ, that was uh, pretty much flat. The NASDAQ was probably actually the stronger index today, which is interesting because the 10-year did rise just a bit, about four basis points. And I still believe kind of near term, remember, Fed is still printing money. They're buying assets. Uh, you're still seeing liquidity put into the system. So a major breakdown is probably unlikely in the, in the, in the near term. Certainly possible, but I think unlikely just because there was kind of a washout uh, a few weeks ago, and I think there's still some some counter trend rally left in this move. But that's where we are today. Gold had another strong move, and that looks poised to break out. Now we're moving into a break. Ken from Texas, hang on. You will be here. You will be next here on a best talk at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk, and it sure seems like the new year is moving fast. Soon, we'll be halfway through the first quarter. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. Let's go talk to Ken in Texas. He wants to talk about bonds. Hi, Justin. Um, how far out would you go right now with with a ten year going over two percent top you know hitting two and trying to break on through how far out would you go in duration with triple b's right now and and uh i I blattered between now and two thousand and thirty would you stay in that range would you go further out now and my second question is would you look at individual preferreds right now seeing how they've really got hammered here in the last month? Well, the f- answer to your first question is I think 2030 is about right and laddering those out so you have an average maturity hopefully in that kind of five to six year range is probably where you would want to be. That's that good kind of sweet spot of getting good enough yield but not taking too much duration risk. So I think that's uh, that's good. Now, on the preferreds, that's exactly where you don't want to be. Remember, preferreds have almost infinite dura- duration because there's 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 no need for them to, to uh, give you all of your money back, right? So the that's why they've gotten hit so bad is because they have very, very high duration and you don't want to be in high duration assets. And so uh, I just don't love preferreds as investments in general, but definitely not in a rising interest rate environment. You don't want to be excited about preferreds unless unless you think that rates have peaked and they're going to come back down. And maybe that's your view. And then preferreds are probably a, a decent way to, to trade that. But if you're worried, like it sounds like you are about higher rates and in duration risk, preferreds are not where you want to be. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you, sir. No problem, Ken. Thanks for calling. Now, the U.S. 10-year yield rose above 2%, 2%, speaking of bonds. Could this indicate trouble for stocks? Let's take a look at that story here. The 10-year hit 2%, 2% level last week during the big inflation reading, the highest in four decades. And that was also after St. Louis Fed President James Bullard Reiterate his call for the central bank to take aggressive steps to fight inflation in the first half, talking about a 50 basis point increase and maybe 100 basis points by July, meaning hey, we're going to do maybe 50 basis points and then uh, maybe another 50 basis points to get to that rather quickly. Now, I don't think that's actually going to happen. 
even though he's worried about the last uh, four reports showing that inflation is accelerating. And this is a good example of how the Fed is reactionary. They're looking backwards. If you understand simple base effects, simple uh, calculations, you know that inflation is going to moderate. It's not just about in, uh, prices going up for one year and staying there. If prices go up 10% one year and then they flatten out uh, for the next year, that's not infl- that, that's 5% inflation. That's not 10% inflation, right? Because inflation has to be building on itself. And that's where you get those, those huge increases in price. And we certainly are going to have higher than average inflation. That's, that's likely. But it ju- this just shows that uh, they're not fully understanding that inflation will moderate through the f- first half of the year. Now, what also I don't think this is going to be going to happen is because 90% of Fed rate hikes have happened between uh, within 7% of all time highs. 7%. So if the market just has another, you know, modest drop from here, we're kind of in that 7% range right now. Um, So if you have more downside, is the Fed going to get aggressively hawkish in the midst of more downside in the broader indices? Probably not. So remember the Fed, they want asset prices to stay relatively elevated. So they're playing a delicate game here. And I think they're happy in some way that, hey, these Ponzi stocks, these high multiple tech stocks, they're getting crushed, whereas the broad indices is is holding up. But a lot of that has to do with the rotation towards energy, towards financials, towards the value side of the market. And that's an indication that the economy is likely to continue to grow. And so if you see, they're happy with this rotation, higher rates, rotation in the market, the, the, the S&P kind of goes nowhere. And that's basically since they've talked about pivoting their policy in the fall of last year, September, October timeframe, where, where's the S&P? It's flat. So they've built in this expectation of, uh, of a more hawkish policy and stocks are flat or the, you know, the broad indexes are flat, even though, you know, tech stocks, growth stocks are down dramatically, but stocks in general have not moved very much over the past five months. And I think they're happy with that. And so if we stay in this range, they're going to hike rates. Um, if we get another drop, I think they're going to cool off their rhetoric just a bit. Now we're heading into a break now, and I'm happy to be here and I'm ready to tackle your questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steve or Justin. How are you? This is John from Indiana. I have been a long-time listener, first-time caller, but you might be hearing more from me in the future. First, I want to thank you both for such a great show. It's been really informative and extremely helpful. So I have a question um, on a thing that Steve often mentions in the podcast. Sometimes he would say the mutual funds are slowly adding or selling the stock. So my question is, how do you know that kind of information? 
and it's not also accessible to us by us, I meant those who don't have access to all the data that you have to pay for. Yep, thank you for taking my question, and I look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Well, how we get the data is, first of all, thank, thank you for the kind words, but how we get the data is through Morningstar. We have Morningstar Premium, and it does cost money, and maybe that's worth it for you. Maybe it's not. It's up to you. But this goes back to your broker. And this is especially important in an era now where stock trading is basically free, whether you're at Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Schwab, Robinhood, E-Trade, any, you know, any of them. So if the cost to make a trade is basically nothing, then you have to look at the qualitative factors, or I guess you can call this quantitative, but what other things are you getting? And a big factor in that, in today's world, is research. Every broker, and I don't know what Robinhood offers, probably not a whole lot, but every broker offers some sort of, has some sort of research platform. And some are easier to use than others, some have more data than others, and you want to know what that is and what you can utilize if it's data you will use or data that you don't really care about. So just because it gives you data doesn't mean that it's useful data. And so everybody, everybody should be on the platform where they're getting the best data so they can make good decisions if they're doing it on their own. For example, TD Ameritrade, use a thing called Thinkorswim. It's award-winning. We use a institutional version of Thinkorswim, which has a lot of data, but we pay for other data as well. And so in today's world, you really have to lean or should lean on your broker to provide you with good data, good data that you can analyze, good data that you can use. So hopefully that, that helps. Um, it's just a matter of what your strategy is and what data you're looking for. But your question was Morningstar Premium. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So here are some questions from iTunes reviewers. Burst CM says, what are your thoughts on the gaming industry future and also BRPM becoming F-A-Z-E, F-A-Z-E is the symbol, BRPM. I don't know much about this. It looks like a SPAC and a SPAC that, let me look at the chart here. Yeah, I don't know much about this. I mean, the gaming industry as a whole, I think there's still cont continuous growth. It depends on the companies. I'd rather be with the software names than the hardware names. Those uh, those typically have the highest margins. I think that's why Microsoft is buying active, trying to buy Activision. Uh, you look at EA and a lot of the other gaming companies. Uh, those those are the names that I'd be interested in. I wouldn't be dealing with these SPACs. They're too complex. Unless you really dig into the details of the SPAC and and there's something the market is not paying enough attention to, which there are occasional examples of that that I've seen in the marketplace right now, but the vast majority, 98% of them, uh, are just way too complex. They overpaid for the business. They're uh, simply there for the promoters to get their free shares, and it's just a game for them. So I would not be investing in that company, F-A-Z. 
Now let's squeeze in another iTunes review question here. Travis says, could you give me your professional opinion in regards to ASTS out of Midland, Texas, ASTS? Uh, after a recent trip to Odessa, I heard about this company. I was immediately intrigued. After some research, I found they'll be launching their first satellite, possibly this summer. Does technology have a niche value? Let's see. Provide space-based cellular broadband network with Vodafone. Yeah, this is one of, to, to me one of those story stocks. Very little revenue. You have to be buying into the story. Uh, and I, th I think there's certainly probably a future when it comes to space-based cellular networks. But we're very early on and the costs are very high. And will they actually get there? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the, the technology. Uh, will they will it become economical? Will it be viable? I, I don't know. I, I just don't like to touch the space market because every company just burns capital in space. They just send it out to space and it burns up into the ether. You know, it fl floats on the way to all the way to, to Mars. And it's just not a good business. And this is a good example of that. It's a company that continues to uh, issue more shares, burn capital, all in the hopes of, of creating this business. And certainly it could happen, but you really have to have strong technical expertise and understand the economics of the business. And uh, I wouldn't touch it because it's too early on. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question, are, you, are your bond holdings vulnerable in a rising rate environment? For now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so... Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. 
As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com hacker one dot com the stock market is volatile it's constantly changing so how are you positioned is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks you can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief riskalyze quiz Let's go talk to Darren. He's in North Carolina looking at ExxonMobil. Yes, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I got in uh, a while back at 52, and it's close today at 79. And so I was thinking about taking some profits off the table. But I also had heard that with the, with the uh, situation in the Ukraine, that uh, that might drive prices up even higher. I wondered what your thoughts were about that. Well, that's certainly true. You've seen some spikes, especially on Friday, on the report that uh, Ukraine's going or Russia's going to invade Ukraine. What on the 16th or something like that? Wednesday, they refuted that, and I think it's a lot of uh, you know from a political standpoint. I don't like to too political, but I think it's uh, it's interesting that the U.S. is more worried about than Ukraine themselves. So I, I don't I don't actually think that's likely to happen. Sure, it could happen, but. Uh, I, I don't. It wouldn't be a thesis for me. It doesn't. It, to me, it wouldn't make me buy or sell Exxon or any oil company because any of it will be kind of short term. I'm looking at oil and natural gas and, and the structural undersupply over the long term, and that's what's most important here. So it's up, and what's interesting is you didn't see a breakout on that news, and so what tells me is that. Uh, this whole space is a bit overbought and needs to kind of consolidate. So I like oil longer term, but I think that, uh, you know, you, you, this, this whole Ukraine situation is not something that I would make a trade one with it unless I would say, okay, I want to really unload. I want to reduce my position dramatically and use this as an opportunity because you're going to get a little spike here. Sure. But uh, it wouldn't be a reason for me to buy or sell it. I'm looking at structural undersupply of oil and gas longer term, so I wouldn't sell it. Let's go to Dave in Ohio looking at Lumen Technologies. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, and um, I own it. I own about 1,700 shares of Lumen. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if I should just sell it at a loss or should I write it through? Your thoughts? 
Um, we're still happy with with Lumen. Uh, their uh, their earnings disappointed just a tad bit, but it really wasn't too dramatic. And they're they're purposely having revenue decline. They're selling off some assets. They're they're trying to pay down debt, and uh, they're also buying back shares. They have a billion dollars in uh, availability to buy back shares. And with this drop, I'm sure they're 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 buying more right now. Uh, now it's certainly a higher risk dividend yield uh, play because they're going to have to execute on their uh, their capital spending in order to kind of modernize their uh, their assets. Uh, they own a lot of fiber in the ground, and that fiber is going to be increasingly uh, vital in our our, our internet uh, network throughout the country. And that's that's why we, we we like Lumen. We think that they'll they'll turn that around, and, and they've been doing that. You can see that with their cash flows, uh, and they're making smart, uh, I think, asset sale decisions in a time where uh, interest rates are, are low, and they're getting good value there. So, uh, you know, there there is major support here, right around ten dollars. We'll see if it holds that uh, this week. Uh, I'm very interested to see if on a weekly basis we can hold that ten dollar level. If we can, I'd be a lot more confident. If we can't, that's where I would, uh, you know, we start questioning that the technicals are telling something else, but I wouldn't be selling it yet. I would uh, I would be confident in the trends because the trends are better cash flows, better capital allocation decisions, and so I would hold it. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on early retirement. There's been a lot of early retirees due to the pandemic. Why? Because of higher real estate and stock prices, frankly. Now, roughly 4.2 million people left the workforce during the pandemic, and more than one in three did it because of higher asset prices. That helped push the percentage of retirees in the U.S. population from 18.3 before the pandemic to 19.4. That's a lot. It's a lot of workers. You're talking about a million and a half uh, workers that probably would still be working today. And that's a big reason why you have a tight labor market as a whole. The issue, though, is that a lot of people are extrapolating the recent gains in equities and asset prices into the future. And moving up that retirement date is certainly a gamble. Why? Because you're giving up chances to continue to build that nest egg and make it last longer. A lot of people underestimate expenses, especially for health insurance, for example. And if you see big losses in uh, early in retirement, it can be very, you can't really make it up. It's hard to recover because you're not working anymore. Maybe you can't go back to work. Maybe you had a job that you know doesn't need you anymore. And pivoting careers, pivoting companies is a lot harder once you, you do retire. And so... What happens if you were in ARC, the ARC funds, right? You're writing the ARC funds up into uh, early 2021 and you thought, oh, ARC's going to continue to go up 100% a year. <laughs> I know a lot of people, I think, thought that or thought, uh, you know, similar gains in the markets were going to be easy. And the reality is it's not easy. Since from March 31st, 2020 to, uh, let's see, yeah. From March 31st, 2020, the, the S&P is up 79%, including dividends. The housing market is up 17% last year to record 346,000 median home price. 
So you have the double whammy of asset prices just continuing to go up. And the issue, though, is that 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 people take too much risk and they're too optimistic and they have an exaggerated sense of optimism based on the previous past. And Morningstar did some research and looked at inflation adjusted expected uh, income over the next three decades. And they're saying that advisor or they're saying that investors should only take out about 3.3% of their savings each year down from their 4% guideline before. And I think that makes sense. You know, a lot of people were looking, oh, uh, housing prices are going up 8 10% a year. Uh, my stocks are going up 10 15 20% a year. If I can keep doing that, I'll, I can retire. I'll, I'll be fine. But we know that's not the case. You have great years of market returns. You have underwhelming years of market returns. And so you don't want to be, you, you want to make sure that when you do hit retirement, that you're adjusting your portfolio accordingly. A lot of people are in Bitcoin and they think that Bitcoin is just continue to go up 50% a year. And that's, that's unlikely. It's a lot of large numbers, all of that. And so it's not just about planning financially and from an investment standpoint, but also what are you going to do in those years and having a sense of purpose, uh, a lot of activity, maybe a second career would be important as well. So early retirement definitely takes a lot of smart planning. Now let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a listener question that came in earlier on 888 chart Hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Sherry from New York, and I was calling to ask about ticker symbol tech, T-E-C-K, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. I purchased some back over the summer, um, around the time when a lot of metals and mining sector stocks were you know, still quite high, but tech seemed like a hidden gem at the time. And I bought it around $20 a share. I have a small position in it. And, you know, it's really shot up in the last week to two weeks. And so it's doing very well. And I'm just not really quite sure what to do about it now, if I should dollar cost average in, if it's a little too high right now, if it's sustainable at the price that it's at. I really wanted your opinion on it and maybe your opinion on the overall sector that tech is in. I also have some shares of, of Rio and Vale, and those have also gone up from their earlier lows late last year. Look forward to hearing your answer on the podcast, and thank you so much. All right, looking at tech resources, and we actually own this for some managed accounts. We've owned it for a little while. It's in our cover call strategy. And Basically, it's a very diversified natural resource company, coal, copper, zinc. They have oil sands operations in Canada, uh, operations here in the U.S., Chile, Peru. The metallurgical coal is their primary commodity, though. And uh, copper is next, then zinc, and then the oil sands uh, earnings. So it's the world's second largest exporter of seaborne metallurgical coal and a top three zinc miner. So they've benefited from the China basically stopping exports or imports, excuse me, of metallurgical coal from Australia. That's why you're seeing 
uh, Rio struggle. You're seeing Vale struggle. Uh, you're, you're seeing a, a lot of these names linked to China that are heavily reliant on China and their and their earnings. Uh, those are are struggling the most. And tech, it's not heavily reliant on China uh, because it's mainly focused here in the Americas, uh, providing metallurgical coal made for to, to used to make steel to companies like uh, U.S. Steel here in America. And earnings this year are expected to be six dollars and six dollars per share, up thirty nine percent from four dollars and thirty two cents last year, and a dollar in twenty twenty. So, and that's not out of the realm of reason. They made four dollars and seven cents in twenty eighteen when and when commodity prices were a lot lower. So six dollars is very reasonable. And based on that, it's trading about seven times earnings. We're happy with that. And technicals are pretty strong. So it is a little overbought. You see a down day today. A pullback into the low thirties. Right now it's about thirty five eighty at the close today. Uh, I would see uh, that as an opportunity down into the low 30s. I'd be picking up more shares of tech, T-E-C-K. Now, February is basically half over already. Pretty crazy, right? And the new year is moving along and it feels like a fast pace. And the question is, are you keeping up with this market transition? And do you know if your portfolio is properly aligned with the shift from growth to value, from intangible assets to tangible assets, if you need help understanding whether your positions are weighted one way or the other, large cap to small cap, growth to value, uh, maybe in the bond side, are you, are you more heavily on uh, government or or, uh, uh, or corporate bonds, whatever it is, we go over this in our free portfolio reviews for our listeners via telephone or go-to meeting. We do a full analysis, look at the entire positions, all the accounts, and say, are you taking uh, high risk, medium risk, low risk, are you positioned for this market? And if you need, want to take advantage of that, you can reach out through investtalk.com and schedule a meeting with myself or Steve or call our KPP financial office in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue, but I want to make you aware of a couple other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. Invest Talk has a YouTube channel, FYI, and an Instagram following as of late, and we're building out more content on both of those platforms. So head over to YouTube and Instagram and search for Invest Talk. Remember, use two T's and please tell your friends. The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so call now at 888 chart. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Talk. Hey, guys. Brad from Pensacola here. I had a question on emerging market ETFs. I've been getting crushed on them for the last year. I just wanted to see what you guys' thoughts were on their future, when you think they might turn around or if they're just going to dip lower with COVID and all of that going on. Thank you. All right. Well, the emerging market ETFs have been struggling. Why? Because of currency risk. Remember, when you're investing abroad, one of the major factors of whether you're going to be successful or not is whether those currencies of the businesses and assets overseas are 
increasing or decreasing. And with a stronger dollar, as the Fed has slowly marched towards a tightening cycle, the dollar has gotten stronger. Everyone talked, you know, going into last year, you were, we were doing QE and uh, we were had rates at zero and everyone was so sure the dollar was going to hell in a handbasket. And what did it do? It advanced uh, seven, eight, nine percent for the year, which is a big move in the currency market against the broad basket. And so that's why emerging markets struggled so mightily. And so the first thing you have to get right when you're investing in emerging markets or foreign markets in general is what's going to happen with the currency. Now, when will the dollar get weaker? The dollar will likely get weaker when the Fed pivots. And the Fed has not pivoted yet. They're, in, they're on a tightening path. And they're relatively early on. Now, until that breaks, until it breaks something, and that usually happens at some point, then the dollar is probably going to stay relatively buoyant. But when you start to see the, the, the dollar break down, I would take a look at like the UUP is a good ETF to kind of follow. That right now, it's finding support continuously at the 100-day moving average. It's hit that a couple times recently, which may be telling you that the dollar is maybe headed for a shift lower. But it's not quite there yet. It's not giving you that clear indication. Now, that's kind of the short and medium-term outlook uh, based on uh, currencies. Now, longer-term, the values overseas are, are definitely better. Uh, but what I would be is looking at individual country ETFs and ones that are focused more on commodities. And that's a big factor as well. A lot of emerging markets think of Brazil uh, are heavily reliant on emerging uh, on commodity prices, whereas if China, for example, is not. If, if commodity prices go up, that actually hurts China. If commodity prices go, go up, that actually benefits Brazil. And so I'd be looking at individual emerging markets that have strong commodity exposure. Now we're heading into our final break, so get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Brady from Indiana. Thanks for the show. Calling about ticker symbol WGO. Seems like their value is very reasonable. They pay a steady dividend. They're buying back shares. Return on equity is pretty good. Their debt levels seem pretty low. Just wondered if you thought this was being pushed from tailwinds from all the money pumped into the system. Kind of my thought going forward, maybe as the baby boomers continue to retire, this might be a company that can continue these tailwinds in the next few years. This would be a longer-term hold. Just wondered what your thoughts were. Thanks, guys. All right, this is Winnebago Industries. They make motorhomes and recreational vehicles, and clearly their business boomed during the pandemic, as you would expect, as more and more people were trying to get out of city centers. A lot of people, like you said, are retiring and maybe selling their home and just wanting to travel the country, get out of, uh, you know, get out and see the world and get into nature. And earnings this year, or 2022, are supposed to be $12.09 
up 39% from last year of $8.67. But pre-pandemic 2019, they were only making $3.45 a share. And in fact, they were actually in sales decline pre-pandemic from 18 to 19. So their business was not bad. Uh, they had free cash flow that year, about $93 million. But now it's uh, north of $200 million. So they've over doubled their, their free cash flow. And earnings next year are supposed to be down 13%. So you're starting to see that reversion to the mean uh, on the expectations, and those expectations continue to come down. So it's good that they're, re- they're repurchasing the shares, $200 million, It's about 10% of the overall market cap, which is nice. I, I would definitely like to see that. And longer term, the return on equity kind of hovers in the high teens, low 20% range. Right now, it's about 32%. So they're kind of over-earning currently. And so that's why I'd be patient. And the technicals are a series of lower highs and lower lows. And that's the, the chart telling you, hey, those earning, current earnings are not expected to be uh, to hold longer term. They're probably going to trend back to closer to 3 to $4 in earnings. And at $67 per share, that's probably a bit expensive. Probably needs to come down into the, the low 50s. And then it might be interesting. But I'm going to pass on it for now because I don't like that reversion to the mean that it's almost clearly headed for. And I want to see where that, that, that levels out. And I would need to pay a much lower multiple than you're seeing now based on expected future earnings of that 4 to $5. So I'm going to pass on Winnebago, but keep an eye on it because I like the long-term profitability. Now let's touch a bit on remote work to close. And we know that new habits are changing in the economy. And it's actually gathering speed when it comes to remote work. Now, The Economist conducted a survey back in May of 2020, and it showed that Americans loved working remote. In fact, the results of the survey suggested that remote work would account for 20% of full-time hours after the pandemic. Well, now, based on surveys, it's 28%. uh, Sorry, 28%. Uh, yeah, 28% hours uh, will be work from home. Now, in all, about 15% of full-time workers are expected to be fully remote in the future. Before the pandemic, that was only 5%. So think of it. Our workforce is 20, 200 million, 200 million. And if we go from 5 to 15% of our workforce is now fully remote, that's, 10, that's 20 million people that can now move anywhere. And, well, there's still about a 15% chunk of people that want to come back to the office. 10% of the workforce, in addition, are going to be working remotely. And those are people that are going to move out of city centers. And you're going to have what is called a donut effect, where people are going out into the suburbs. If you don't have, even if you're hybrid, there's a lot of people, a third might be hybrid as well, based on the survey. So even if you don't work fully remote, if you only have to commute two days a week versus five, well, you're more likely to move farther away from your office. And so that means more and more pressure on those uh, those houses in remote areas. And I think if you own real estate in large city centers and reliant on you know big offices in big cities, I think that's going to struggle for a long period of time. More and more people are going to flow out of California and other high-cost areas, and that is a permanent exodus that is going to be uh, be consistent. And uh, it's a big trend you have to watch out for. 
I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And it's official. We now surpass 38.7 million downloads thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And be sure to rate and reviews, review on iTunes. And if you do, ask a question on your review. We will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.